Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 3rd. The final push of 2021 officially begins. It's crazy to think, folks, that we've hit November on the calendar. Nevertheless, it's ostensibly the last month of the ATP and WTA Tour season. Of course, it's always worth mentioning. We've got Challenger and ITF action 24-7, 365. And on today's show, I want to talk about the five challengers we have on the calendar this week, about our three U.S. ITF events as well. But the place I think we have to start... The race for the year-end finals, and that race is unfolding this week at the Masters 1000 event happening in Paris. Of course, the leaders in the clubhouse right now are Kasper Ruud and Hoopy Hercots. But as we begin Wednesday's play, guys like Yannick Sinner, guys like Cam Nori, of course, even Felix Ogier-Aliassime, a couple of others still have the opportunity to reach the year-end finals if a little magic goes their way, of course. We also have Novak Djokovic making his return to the court. He wins his first match since the U.S. Open final. Three-set victory for him over Marton Fucevic. I want to talk about why you should never read too much into a Djokovic performance this late into this season, but of course also talk about the Novak Djokovic we saw play in Paris, what our expectations should be for him both at this event and at the year-end finals. There are a couple other performers in Paris I think we have to highlight. Grigor Dimitrov, Gael Monfils have had resurgent falls here. On the ATP Tour, both guys showing, I don't want to say their peak form, but awfully close to it. Each of them has experienced success here early in Paris as well. I want to talk about their performances, talk about what has driven them to this success they've experienced over the past few months. Of course, run through all the other results we've seen unfold thus far. As I mentioned, talk about the challenger action, talk about 
the three U.S.-based ITFs. I may even get into a little Billie Jean King Cup at the end. Of course, to be honest, I haven't been able to watch much of that event, and I think that's a topic on itself. And I do want to discuss where Billie Jean King Cup sits in the tennis ecosystem later on this week. I got to find the right guest to do that with because I do feel like that is a fascinating conversation. But of course, before I get into any of that, I want to remind all of you listeners that these podcasts are made possible because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our friends uh, over on our Crack Rackets Patreon channel, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. If you missed yesterday's mini break episode, it is the first of a new series we are launching here on the mini break podcast. It's called Tennis Point Tuesdays, and each and every week, I'm going to talk with my friend Nate Walrith over at Tennis Point about the latest and greatest products from throughout the tennis world. Also talk about all the action we see unfolding on the tour each and every week was super exciting, super fun to get the chance to chat with Nate. He's one of us. He's one of the nerds, one of the guys locked in week in, week out, day in, day out on the action unfolding across the men's and women's pro tennis world. So super excited for those podcasts moving forward. And again, the opportunity to work with our friends at Tennis Point, we always enjoy here at Cracked Rackets. We know they're the best in the business. They provide the best equipment at the lowest prices. You go to their website right now, tennis-point.com. You'll find everything you need from rackets to shoes. You use our promo code CR15 upon checkout. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, but you'll get 15% off your order free to uh, two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Excuse me. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Limited, uh, or some restrictions, excuse me, do apply. But again, tennis-point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. And again, look out for Tennis Point Tuesdays each and every Tuesday here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. But with all of that said, let's talk about the final push of 2021 in particular. We'll start with top seed Novak Djokovic because, again, any opportunity to see the world number one uh, coming off of that U.S. Open performance, the fact that we even get to see him at all compete here down the home stretch of 2021, that wasn't something we were certain we were going to get to do and certainly would have made sense, right, just given the emotions of this season for Novak. The fact that he actually freaking pulled off winning the first three slams of the year and, you know, all the pressure in the world on him heading into the Olympics because that is the one big title he's yet to capture. And, of course, he comes up a little bit short after leading Alex Zverev uh, by a set a break and then fall short in that bronze medal match as well. Fall short in the U.S. Open final to Daniil Medvedev after, you know, again, scratching, clawing, gladiatoring his way into the final. Just the victory, you know, again, how physical that pathway was to the final. Certainly he was drained. The gas tank was on empty by the time he reached Daniil Medvedev. Given all of those circumstances, and given the fact, what does Novak Djokovic have to prove here down the home stretch of the season? Does anyone deny that he was the best player in the world this season? He won three Grand Slams overall, and you know, again, I certainly we all love to see Djokovic compete each and every time we get to see him on court. That said, you would have understood if he wanted to shut it down and figure out whether he is going to play the 2022 Australian Open, and that is not a topic I'm going to explore on today's podcast. That is a December pod, folks, when we talk about all policies related towards vaccination heading into 2022 on both the ATP and WTA tours. Uh, of course, will there be uh, you know, a vaccine mandate for uh, all of these events? Will the tour enforce that mandate? What would an enforcement mechanism even look like? That's its own podcast topic. I don't have time. Or I do have time 
But it's just, again, with the tennis going on, that topic will hold. We'll save that for December, of course. It is just fantastic to see Novak Djokovic back on court competing here in Paris. And look, was it the cleanest Novak Djokovic performance in his three-set 6-2-4-6-6-3 victory over Martin Fucevic? No. Absolutely not. You look for Djokovic, what's something he's done well all year long? It's, you know, again, become more aggressive and have success on his first serve points. That trend continued in this Marton Fucevic match. He makes 68% of his first serves, wins 77% of his first serve points. He even won 56% of his second serve points on the match. Only faced two break points during the course of the action and ultimately lost both of those break point chances. But Again, you look for Djokovic, 18 winners against 21 unforced errors. Well, it is a slow court. It's slow indoor conditions here in Paris, and that's always the case, and you always forget that because Paris is stashed at the back of the calendar, but you could tell Djokovic hadn't played a match in a couple of months. I don't want to say he looked slow, but he was definitely a half second off in everything it was doing. It felt like there were so many times he had to, you know, turn to the bailout slide where he's on the stretch reaching this ball in the outer third and of course he is still Novak Djokovic and when he is on the full stretch he can track down just about anything but you know Fucevic wasn't hitting the ball that big where you felt like Djokovic should feel stretched into the outer thirds of the court throughout the course of this match and you know too frequently he was particularly in that second set he looked a step slow and just you know again looked like the physicality of Fucevic had gotten to him and that he just didn't have the patience or the tolerance in that moment to sustain a, you know a full third set and just you know go the distance here in this match but then of course Djokovic turned it on and became Novak Djokovic once again and showed that extra bit of strength and when he gets the break for 3-2 in the third set unleashes a roar as he hit that stretch forehand down the line passing shot uh, to earn the break and then Djokovic was back that all it, that's all it ever takes right one spark for him to regain that enthusiasm and then you know he's the most gifted tennis player I've ever seen on the men's side and just He's always able to make the spectacular happen. He's always been able to win ugly by just outgrinding his opponent, by hitting the ball, simply put, where they are not. And for Djokovic, what am I going to talk about his tactics? I thought he was hitting the forehand a little bit short today. I thought all everything he was hitting what came a little bit short today. And again, that's a byproduct of the rust, a byproduct of the fact that he hasn't played a match since the U.S. Open final. All of that said... You know, again, that Novak Djokovic can show up after not playing a match in two months and pull out a three-setter like this over a locked-in Marton Fucevic, who earned a fantastic three-set victory over Fabio Fonini in his first-round match. I thought it was an impressive win for Djokovic to get through this one. And again, you look at the stats— I think part of that aggression manifesting itself on his first serve points, and again, he ended up before the match winning 77% of his first serve points. He was 29, or 21 excuse me, of 29 at the net during the course of the match. I think there's a strong correlation between the success he had on those first serve points and his willingness and ability to succeed at the net. And again, Given the physicality of the match, he wasn't beating himself. 18 winners against 21 unforced errors. Now, he wasn't generating the easiest winners, but, you know, that's a testament to Marton Fucevic, who, you know, 22 winners against 29 unforced errors. Given these conditions against Novak freaking Djokovic, that's as close to as good as you can ask for if you are Fucevic. He has success on his first serve, winning 70% of those first serve points. The difference, of course, he goes 13 of 36 on second serve points. That's a 36% win percentage if you give no. Novak Djokovic a clean look on a second serve, particularly on an indoor hard court. Yeah, 
Djokovic is going to find a way to succeed. And so ultimately, three-set victory for Djokovic to advance to the round of 16 in Paris. Novak Djokovic, I believe, by the way, the only number one seed to win the Paris Masters. I want to think since 2005. That was a stat relayed from Gil Gross, relayed from someone on Twitter. I don't remember exactly who it was, but yeah. Again, that's getting back to... Do we have any questions left to ask about Novak Djokovic? I sent out perhaps my worst tweet in history at the end of last season when he was struggling, uh, or maybe it was at the end of 2019. Yeah, it was at the end of last season, I think, when he was just, you know, he didn't look his best in Paris. He didn't look his best in uh, at the year-end finals, and Medvedev looked extraordinary. And I was just, you know, I wondered out loud how if, if there is a physical decline in Novak Djokovic ever, given how predicated his game is on physicality, might the drop-off for him in level be more extreme than we saw for Roger Federer as he, you know, lost the step and started aging into his late 30s, but Federer plays such an aggressive game style, so much of it's on his racket, taking chances. It's not the same as a Djokovic or the same as an Nadal who, you know, want to physically wear down their opponent and are trying to play these two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour slogs when they're not playing their best tennis. That's, you know, that's the bailout is, okay, we'll make the match a battle of physicality because Djokovic and Nadal are always going to beat everyone I think it's still an open question, but I also think given the year we just saw from Novak Djokovic, yeah, you know what? At this point of his career where these struggles, perhaps you could have read more into them in 2012, 2013, 2014, had they happened and they didn't happen, let's be clear, but perhaps then they would have been more valid. At this point of his career, you just realize, oh yeah, it's November and Novak Djokovic hasn't played in two months. And yeah, Paris matters. Yeah, the year-end finals matter. But they don't really matter. It's you know it's it's Grand Slam, it's Grand Slam titles. That's all that's left for Novak Djokovic to accomplish. Get to Slam title number twenty one, surpass Rafa, surpass Federer. Uh, of course, win an Olympic gold medal would be great as well. And I'm not saying he should measure himself solely by those tasks, but I don't think Novak Djokovic will take a loss at this point of the year and you know lose a ton of confidence. Is what I'm trying to say. And by the way. It's not a hot take, but I think we all would agree. I mean, it would be amazing if Djokovic loses this Fucevic match and he just, you know, he's unable to win another slam and we look five years from now and they're interviewing him and, trying, and you know, it's probably Ben going to get the interview and say, what was the turning point? Why do you think you were unable to earn, uh, well, Ben probably makes it a vaccine-related question, ha, 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 but, you know, why weren't you able to capture that 21st slam? And Djokovic goes, well, you know, it was a loss to Fucevic in Paris, round of 32. It just shook me. I was never able to recover after that. We know that's not going to be the case for Novak Djokovic. We know it is. Uh, again, Fucevic pushed him. Fucevic played well. Djokovic able to advance, competed as well as Novak Djokovic always competes. He is into the round of 16 in Paris. Well, he will be joined by a couple of other standout performers, or I suppose not joined quite yet because they were round of 64 matches, but a couple of the other standout performers of the day. Well, let's start with Gael Monfils, who may have played the match of the day on Tuesday as he earned a 4-6-7-5-6-3 victory over Miomir Kasmanovic. Now, listeners of this podcast will know I'm very much on the Kasmanovic bandwagon, and it is worth mentioning you look for Miomir Kasmanovic. This season has definitely been a struggle. I don't want to say a step back because that just feels a bit rude, but you look for Miomir Kasmanovic overall on the season, 174th in overall ELO. He's 15 and 26 now overall on the season, a little bit better than that after coming through Paris qualifying, so I want to say 17 now and 27, but 
Look, the uh, 21-year-old, 22-year-old, excuse me, has fallen out of the top 50, number 69 in the world. You look for his numbers here this season, hold percentage 74.1. That's a career low for him on the ATP Tour. Now his break percentage to 27.6, that's a career high, and that's a pretty damn good number for Miomir Kasmanovic, indicative of his baseline talent. All of that is to say, the serve has been a struggle for him, but on these slow indoor hard courts against Gael Monfils, his ability to match Monfils' physicality, that was a fascinating dynamic here in this match. And, you know, I brought up those stats from Yermak Kasmenovic because I'm still a believer in his physicality. It's, the guy is just a, a machine from the baseline. You know, it's it's the rigorous consistency from Kasmenovic. Forehand cross court, forehand cross court, backhand cross. His ability, you know, on the defense to absorb redirect pace. It's not elite, the pace that he dishes back out. But I think there's a lot of Jill Simone in Miamir Kasmenovic. And just, I see, I, I think he's got a sneaky good crack. You know, at the net, I think he's a comfortable volleyer who very much knows where to go and what to do, just doesn't always have the best approach shot as he works his way up to the net and thus leaves himself susceptible to uh, two passing shots. And just again, for him, it's the difficulties with the serve and just penetrating the court on that shot. It feels like Miomir Kasmanovic is always playing defensive tennis, but when he's playing his best defensive tennis, the combination of athleticism and shot making, uh, it, again, it made this an extraordinarily exciting matchup. But you look for Gael Monfils overall in this match, 54 winners against 33 unforced errors. Now you look for Kasmanovic, 13 winners against 14 unforced errors. Yeah, that's fairly lopsided. That speaks to the fact Kasmanovic was in overtly defensive mode, excuse me, and overtly, I guess, tough word for me to get out, but he was overtly defensive and just clearly, you know, playing six, seven feet behind the baseline. And look, Guillermo Feast was patient. He was, Guillermo Feast is plenty fine, you know, playing that deep behind the baseline, plenty fine hitting those 15, 20 shot rallies, waiting for you to either leave a ball in the outer third that he can suddenly turn on or leave a ball short in the court that he can attack and be aggressive with and move to the net and, you know, again, display his shot making abilities, display his flair, his athleticism. And Monfils was able to do that in this match. 54 winners, 33 unforced errors, 17 of 22 at the net. You look for him, 88% of his first serve points. He wins, fights off two of the three break points he faced. Now, Kasmanovic only faced four break points in this match, and he fought off two of the four he faced. This was, again, a pick em. In the end, though, uh, Guillaume Monfils, 4-6, 7-5, 6-3. He advances, and just to quickly tell the tale of Guillaume Monfils here this season, you look for Guillaume overall here in 2021 now, 17-17. From February to August, it was 3-10. and 10. Since the start of August, since the start of the summer hardcourt stretch, 14-7 and seven overall. And here are some of the other numbers for Gael Monfils. Again, from February to August, he was holding serve 75.3% of the time. That number would rank 46th amongst top 50 players. From August to now, he's held 83.9% of the time. That number would rank 17th. That's significantly better. You look for him from a break percentage standpoint. He was breaking 20.1% of the time. That number good for about 37th. He's now breaking serve 25.8% of the time. That number would be good for 14th. He's a top 20 club member over the course of the past two months. And you look for Gael Monfils, that 83.9 hold percentage. That's above his career average by three full percentage points. The 25.8% break percentage, 1% higher than his career average as well. 
we just it, and again it, it reflects what we're seeing with our eyes for Gael Monfils over these past few months the victories for him certainly it's matches we think he probably should be winning the win over Jean-Luc Magier the win over Marcos Giron the wins over you know Kevin Anderson Lorenzo Musetti and Mimir Kasmanovic John Milman Francis Tiafo Alex Diemenauer these are all guys coming into this season you thought Gael Monfils probably still should be beating just given the level that he's displayed and early in the season he was not that he's been able to regain that form play some of his best tennis here down the home stretch of 2021 again it's not quite his peak form for Gael Monfils but he is playing uh, at minimum career average if not a little bit better than his career average tennis serving extraordinarily aggressively and hitting that ball so cleanly and then again uh, being a aggressive with his uh just again uh with his plus one ball being willing to take those chances when he's in the outer third it just seems locked in from a momentum standpoint as well and just you know again he's playing in front of his Paris crowd Guillermo Fies always performs in front of the Paris crowd the success on serve being the big driver of the success here down the home stretch of the season but of course he's just become he's back to being Guillermo Fies and considering Guillermo Fies turned 35 at the beginning of September that's quite the accomplishment. I may have mentioned this before. I'll say it again. If I would have told you six years ago, seven years ago, that of the Frenchmen, Gasquet, Sanga, Simone, and Monfils, it would be Gaël Monfils, who would still be closest to his prime in 2021, I don't think you would have believed me. I don't think I would have believed me. But it's a testament to the work Gaël Monfils has put in. And again, fantastic performance for him against Kesmenovic. He was able to out, you know, he was able to break down the wall. That is Miomir. He was able to find the aggression, comfortable moving forward. It's a good win for Monfils to advance to the round of 32. Good win for Grigor Dimitrov as well against the aforementioned Richard Gasquet, 6-1-4-6-6-2. You look for Dimitrov in this match. He won 72% of the first serve points, 67% of his second serve points, was only broken one time. Meanwhile, was 4-15 on his own break point chance. 21 winners, 18 unforced errors. You look for Grigor Dimitrov now overall on the season. Grigor's 24 and 17 here in 2021, but very similar. It was 12 and 10. So I guess not 3 and 10, not very similar. It was much, much different uh, for Gael Monfils at the start of the year. But you look for Grigor Dimitrov again, 3 and 10 he was at the, st- uh, three and 10, excuse me, 12 and 10 from February through the start of the hard court season in August. Is 12 and 7 now down the home stretch here of 2021. And, you know, from a percentage standpoint, things look pretty similar. He's holding serve 81% of the time, was at 80.9 during uh, the first half of the season. He's breaking serve 25.6% of the time. That number is exactly the same as where he was at at the start of the season. He is winning 4.2% more of his second serve points, though, and just a percent more of his total points overall in general. And there's just a confidence now to Grigor Dimitrov. And obviously, his game is predicated on confidence. When you're, you know, so reliant on athleticism, using your quickness to take the ball early and go for the aggressive shot, big down the line, work your way to the net, make your opponents uncomfortable, you need to have confidence on your side. And for Grigor, semifinals San Diego, semifinals Indian Wells, knocked out by Tsitsipas first round in Vienna, but of course that was a tightly fought 7-6-6-4 match. Now earns a three-set win over Richard Gasquet to set up a matchup with 2018 Paris Masters champion Karen Hachanov. 
I don't want to say that's a must-win match for Grigor Dimitrov because nothing in November is must-win, but that's a fascinating mark just to see where he's at because obviously, you know, Hatchinov's a guy who struggled this season. Yeah, he's not going to completely beat himself, but he's not going to take the match away from you either, and it does feel like a match Dimitrov, you know, he wins that one. Now he's into quarterfinal or round of 16 here in Paris and just, you know, the wins continue to accumulate for him down the home stretch, and you look for Grigor, by the way, with this success. Uh, He's reapproaching the top 30 of the ATP rankings and can put himself, you know, give himself some comfort zone field, guaranteed that he'll get a seed at the Australian Open. Now, he should be seeded no matter what already, but, you know, fantastic win for Dimitrov. Three sets over Richard Gasquet, and again, he's just been a different player here down the home stretch of 2021. Those are the matches I wanted to highlight. Of course, we had plenty of other results here on Tuesday, just running through the gauntlet. And you look overall, I believe, on the day uh, we had nine total three-set matches. You start with some of the seeds push the distance. The, uh, Felix Ogier-Aliassime did not play his best tennis, wasn't serving particularly well, wasn't returning particularly well either, and just, uh, you know, again, was struggling to find his rhythm. Nevertheless, he ultimately earned a 4-6-6, 4-6-1 victory over qualifier Gianluca Madger and you know, again, for FAA, indoor hardcourt with his serve, with his forehand, his willingness to move forward, his aggressiveness, this should be a surface and this should be an event he has success at throughout the course of his career because a slow, high-bouncing high court gives him that much more time to run around that ball, hit that forehand, get to the net, and just, you know, that much more time to, he's still got the firepower to swing through on his backhand wing when he's playing his best tennis. He's not playing his best tennis here down the home stretch of 2021, but of course, in Paris, these conditions offer him the chance to earn that sort of result to just build some momentum heading into next season. And again, I suppose he's sort of still alive. There's a big gap between he and Cam Norrie, uh, but sort of still alive if he wins Paris and everyone else loses. So FAA still in play. Good victory for Diego Schwartzman, particularly given just how much tennis he's played here down the home stretch. Schwartzman, a three-set win over the always pesky John Millman. You also had a three-set victory from James Duckworth, the Duck. Continuing his successful home stretch, six four five seven seven six. He earns the victory over 14th seed Roberto Bautista Agut. Bautista Agut, by the way, your only seed knocked out on the day as Casper Ruud, your number six seed. He earns a straight set victory over Sasha Bublik to also advance to the round of 16. Your three set battles on the day, the other ones I haven't mentioned, Taylor Fritz. Uh, you know, building on the momentum he's built as well at Indian Wells now here uh, at Moscow, uh, excuse me, in St. Petersburg last week as well. He earns a 3-6-6-2-6-3 victory over Lorenzo Sinego uh, to set up a matchup with Andre Rublev. Race for the year-end finals, uh, year-end finals, excuse me, race for the highest ranked American male is on, by the way, Opelka, Fritz, Isner, all within 100 points of each other. Opelka earns a victory 6-3-7-6 over Philip Krajinovich to set up a matchup with Cam Norrie in the round of 32. Again, all those guys within 100 points of each other. So, Frey, you know, Isner's not playing. Fritz Opelka, though, have a chance to end the season as the highest-ranked American. And Americans, by the way, 5-2 and two overall in the first round of, or round of 64, I should say, in Paris. The loss is coming from Mackie McDonald. 
And unfortunately, Vienna finalist Francis Tiafo knocked out 6-7-6-4-6-3 over the always dangerous qualifier Marcos Giron. Other than that, American on American crime again, Mackey loses his first round match, but Riley straight sets over Krajinovic. Tommy Paul continuing his strong form down the home stretch of the season. 6-3-6-4 victory for him over St. Petersburg semifinalist Jan Leonard Struff. Your other you know, again, I suppose surprising. And by the way, I should have put this guy in the resurgent, resurgent veteran uh, category, but we talked about him earlier this week. Marin Chilich, indoor, hardcourt, slow. He's just still got the goods. You give him an extra half second, the forehand, the backhand, still explosive, still has the serve when he's clicking. Three and four win for him over Davidovich Fokina. That's a disappointing loss for the Spaniard. Nevertheless, he'll take it. Uh, you look at the other results, disappointing. Another disappointment for Alex Diemenauer, a big serving, always dangerous, big forehand. Alexi Popperin gets the lucky loser, then gets a 6-love, six 6-3 six victory over Diemenauer. By the way, you look for Alexi Popperin right now, 58th in the live rankings is the 22-year-old Australian. If you want a hot take in Australian tennis circles, go out there and tweet you think uh, Alexi Popperin has more upside than Alex Diemenauer. Should I tweet that out? Well, listeners of this podcast understand it's an inside joke because I'm just trying to, you know, troll a little bit and say, does Alexi Popperin have more upside than Alex Diemenauer? I mean, is it a legitimate question? His serve, his forehand, their weapons, they belong. Um, we'll definitely ask if it's who's had the better season. I think that's an interesting question. But again, We'll hold that for later. You look in the points race, by the way. Again, Popperin. Uh, let's see. How many points has Popperin accumulated? He's 49th in the points race. You look for Demon Hour. He is currently 30th. Yeah, I mean, it's probably Demon Hour, but hey, both guys 22 years old. Who knows? Let's stir the pot. Let's see what we can get. But again, uh, that was a surprising result. Good win for Hatchinoff, 4 and 5 over Mikhail Emer. Good win for Carlos Alcaraz. He escapes 6 7 7 6 6 5 over Pierre Uze Herbert. Of course, Herbert, the servant volley, just continued to put so much pressure on Alcaraz and absorb that top spin, that inside out forehand, and would go flat down the line. Just you know, again, did as much as he could to make the match on air bears racket to put the pressure on Carlos Alcaraz, but Alcaraz found the goods in the outer thirds of the court. He was too good at tennis, too good at the passing shots, the fundamentals, putting pressure on air bear. He ultimately advances to set up a blockbuster matchup on Wednesday with Yannick Sinner. Carlos Alcaraz now, tw- I believe, uh, I think 22nd in the points race right now, currently all the way up to 34th in the live rankings. He's going to be freaking seated at the Australian Open. Just remarkable stuff for the 18-year-old Spaniard. But that's where things sit right now at the event over in Paris. Of course, you look at some of the matchups we have here on Wednesday. We'll get uh, the always dangerous Hugo Gaston making a final push for the year-end finals. He's taken on Carreno Busta. That match could get interesting, folks. You've also got Korda, I believe, taking on Chilich, Ivashka, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Sinner, uh, Alex Virov, your Vienna champion, going to make his uh, tournament uh, debut against the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic. You've got Dimitrov versus Hachinov. I believe some Schwartzman, Jerome action, Rude versus Bublik, Hercats versus Tommy Paul, Cope for FAA, Duckworth, Musetti, Paparin, Tsitsipas, uh, Fritz Rublev, can't believe I haven't mentioned that, Norio Pelka, all of the way across the board. It's a good day of Paris, uh, of action. 
over in Paris. And for those of you curious where things stand from a tennis abstract standpoint as of right now, I believe uh, you look at the percentages. Novak Djokovic, 58.8% favorite to win the event. That feels a little strong, right? Uh, just considering, I don't know, Alex Virev, the success he's had of late, he's at 20%. Daniil Medvedev, 20.3%. Uh, interesting. Oh, excuse me. That's duh, because I read the number wrong. 35.2% favorite is Novak Djokovic. That's apology. That's on me. Leave it in, Westhoff. Hey, great shot. You could hear the hesitation in my voice. I was like, there is no way he's a 50% favorite in a tournament where Zverev and Medvedev are both still alive. And in fact, he's not. 35.2% favorite to win the event. Again, Medvedev, 20.3%. Alex Zverev, 20% chance. Those of you curious, Yannick Sinner, 59% favorite to Carlos Alcaraz's 41% that match dangerously close uh, so that should be an exciting one here on Wednesday and of course we will recap that match certainly on tomorrow's show but that's where the action stands over in Paris let's move on now to the action happening at the ATP challenger level and in particular let's start with a favorite event of mine Charlottesville challenger underway Arguably, you know, I talked about the 5-2 and two success for Americans in the round of 64 in Paris. I could argue Charlottesville is the event to watch if you're a fan of American men's tennis. You look up and down the board at the players competing, in particular the results we saw yesterday. It continues to be the fall of Kozlov. Is Kozlov back is a recurring theme here on this show. He earns a 7-5-6-2 victory over number 7 seed Bjorn Fertangelo, and I'm telling you, Go watch livestream.com slash ATP. The main man himself, Mike Cation, back on the call. He, I, I think he noticed it, it, it as well, or at least, you know, again, I, I don't want to speak for him. I will speak for myself. Go look for yourself. The Kozlov serve is just better right now. And for Stefan Kozlov, you know, baseline games, forehand, backhand, slice, volleys, feel around the court, that's never been a struggle for him. And anticipation skills as well. It's never been an issue for Stefan Kozlov. But generating firepower, generating, you know, easy plus one opportunities on his serve, that has been a struggle, and it wasn't the case for him yesterday. He lost seven points on serve, 40 of 47 overall on the day. He, you know, made 31 of 47 first serves he hit on the day. Didn't face a break point against an exceptional returner in Bjorn Fertangelo. Meanwhile, three of 11 on his own break point chances. You look overall in the match, just Kozlov was better from start to finish. And, you know, again, it's it's consecutive weeks now. You know, he goes and does it on the indoor hard courts in Columbus. He goes and does it, makes the final on the outdoor hard courts of Vegas. Now, consecutively after that, beats number seven seed Bjorn Fertangelo in the first round. It's an impressive win for the 20, now three-year-old Kozlov. And it's crazy to think that he's 23 years old now. Uh, but yeah, the 20, still only 23 years old. And he very much considers himself right up there with Tiafa, with Fritz, with Opelka, with Tommy Paul, because those were his contemporaries growing up. That's the group he should compare himself with. And not that you should compare yourself to anyone, but that is what he is capable of, that level of success. I've seen it for Kozlov. And with the improvements in his serve as well, I guess I haven't seen it for Kozlov, but I know the talent he's capable of. I know the best tennis he's able to produce. And if he's going to continue to serve this well, I said 2021 was the last season on the Kozlov bandwagon, unless he proved otherwise. He's proving otherwise, folks. I am extraordinarily excited. I'm back on the Kozlov beat, folks. So expect us to talk about the American quite a bit here moving forward. And I'll try and get him on the Cracked Interviews podcast. At some point, you look at the other results we've seen 
Seven of the top eight seeds knocked out in the round of 32. We'll start at the top. Vashik Pospisil knocked out by Junior Australian Open finalist, another dangerous young American uh, who I don't talk about enough when talking about the many, many talented young Americans. Emilio Nava, who earns a 6-4-4-6-7-6 victory over Vashik Pospisil. I mean, look, on an indoor hard court in these positions, Nava can ball bash with the best of them. And the firepower he's capable of producing, the you know feel he has in the outer thirds of the court as well, the shot making he's capable of, not the best mover, but was able to go blow for blow with Pospisil, earned the victory in a third set buster. Gunaswarin, three set victory over number two seed Taro Daniel, Dennis Kudla. This isn't an upset, given it's an indoor hard court in Charlottesville, which is Dennis Kudla's hometown, or not quite his hometown. He's obviously a D.C. guy, but he's also a who at heart. He earns a 3-2 and two victory over Mitchell Kruger. That's just a brutal first-round matchup for the third-seed Kruger. Jack Sock, 4-4 four and four, over Mikhail Torpegard. Alex, that's your only seed to win in the round of 32, but you also had the upsets. Vukic, 3-5 and five over 5-seed five Popko. Christian Harrison qualified into this event, 5-4 and four win over Jason Jung, and then Ty Quai- Kowski defends his home courts 7-5 in the third set victory over former Ohio State Buckeye and NCAA singles champion in 2013, Blas Rola. Those were, the, again, the seeds who got knocked off. You look elsewhere. Tough uh, for semifinalist Michael Moe. He's knocked off three sets by Cedric Steeb. Uh, tough for Nick Chappell. Lost to Tung Wun Lu. You look for Chris Eubanks. Three set loss to Watanuki. That's a tough first round matchup. Some of the other interesting ones. Uh, Braden Schnur on a court where he and his North Carolina Tar Heels won the 2016 National Indoor Championships. He earns a three set victory over Uchiyama. Gosoida. Uh, straight set win over Ito. And then a couple of Cavaliers. Iñaki Montes de la Torre earns a 7-6 in the third set victory on his home courts over Peter Polanski. Jason Kubler knocks off the dock. Doc, uh, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, 7-6-7-5. Last but certainly not least, J.J. Wolf now, 47-12. 80% win percentage. 47-12 in challenger matches since 2019. Yes, they've all come on hard courts, but five titles, six finals, seven quarterfinals, eight, uh, excuse me, five titles, six finals, seven semifinals, eight quarterfinals in 17 events. This is event number 18. It starts like the rest, uh, like all but one of them have. 7-5-6-4 victory for him over big serving Martin Dom. Again, the power tennis of J.J. Wolf, even on an indoor hard court, just a level above where young Martin Dom currently is at. But that's a super exciting week of action over in Charlottesville. And you look uh, right now, for uh, the Tennis Abstracts predictions, Jack, Jack Sock, 20.6% favorite, certainly indoor hard courts. Those are nice conditions for him. You then get J.J. Wolf, 174 That speaks uh, to, again, his pedigree on the surface. Dennis Kudla, 10.7%. And by the way, Kudla, Wolf, round of 16 matchup, I believe here on Wednesday, if not Wednesday. Yeah, I believe it's here on Wednesday, if not on Thursday. That's going to be super exciting. Your closest matchup via the numbers. Christian Harrison, a 50.1% favorite over Braden Schnur at 49.9%. You love to see that, but that's where the action is at in Charlottesville. And then again, it's a lot of fun guys for us. You know, Kudla, Wolf, Kwiatkowski, Schnur. Uh, we haven't had Vukic. That's a bit of a surprise, but all those guys have appeared on our Cracked Rackets podcast, so uh, obviously uh, we'll be rooting for them, and Kozlov watches on, folks. It's indoor hard courts. Again, 
fascinating, fascinating, because I do still think he has the talent and he's got the game style to just make everything interesting. And I, I've always felt the better the opponent, the better the Kozlov. But it's that, you know, sometimes the worse the opponent, the worse the Kozlov as well. That standard deviation for him getting better and better and just, again, that floor for him, match in, match out. If he's going to be able to generate opportunities for himself like this on the serve, I'm back in as you listeners can tell. But that's just one of five challengers we have on the weekend. Of course, uh, Damien Kuz, Jakob Bobro talked about many of them at the start of the week on the Great Shot podcast, but we'll start with the action over in Tenerife. I mean, all eyes on Nuno Borges, right? As he takes on Elias Emer today, that should be a super exciting match. El Tug, Chelik Bellic taking on Jason Sung, uh, the former world number one junior. Fernando Verdasco is in the field. Feliciano Lopez in the field. Their tennis abstract favorites to, uh, two and three to win this event. Obviously, that's very much weighted on their past performances, but your top seed, Talon Greek Sport right now, your prohibitive favorite, 36.8% uh, favor to win the event. You look elsewhere, former college guy Ryan Penniston. You've got uh, former top junior out of France, Quentin Halise, still alive as well. Plenty of fun action for us to keep an eye on over in Tenerife. And then again, I think Borges versus Emer is probably uh, your matchup of the day. So certainly uh, always rooting for Nuno to reach the quarterfinals, uh, another quarterfinal for him at the challenger level. But Again, that's where things stand over in Tenerife. You look over in Italy, we've approached and reached uh, the round of 16, I believe, of the action. You look at the players still alive in the field. Should have uh, some exciting round of 16 battles. Uh, I believe Alex Mulcan going to take on Norman Fatik, but Mulcan, your top seed here this week. You've got Zdenek Kolar. Always dangerous in a clay court challenger event. Taking on Chris O'Connell. Holger Rune, your number three seed in action here this week. I believe he'll take on Horansky uh, in the round of 16. Lachetchka uh, taking on Zoomher. Brody Marchenko. Ickle versus Elbot. You know, Donskoy Novak. That's a fun field and certainly your favorites right now, according to Tennis Abstract. Dennis Novak, 17.7%. Then you got Holger Rune, 13%. But the favorite is actually Chris O'Connell. 19.1%. That's interesting, folks. I'm surprised not more love for Zdenek Kolar. I guess that's a lot of love for Chris O'Connell. You look at Eckenthal over in Germany. They're playing once again on the indoor carpets. Yuri Vesely, not a shock to see the number two seed have some success. Impressive first-round win for him over Jonas Foryacek, the dangerous young Czech uh, player. Good win for Max Martyr as well over number eight seed Kasper Thuk in the first round. Jordan Thompson escapes over finalist at a challenger a few weeks ago, Matza Rosenkranz. He earns a 7-6 victory over the big serving German. You look at where things stand currently in the event right now. Jordan Thompson, uh, excuse me, Oscar Ota, your favorite to win the event. He takes on Daniel Masur on Wednesday. Ota, 20% favorite. Then you've got Vesley, 19.4%. Thompson, 15.8%. Then a big drop-off after that. And last, but certainly uh, not least, on the challenger level, you look at the action happening in Ecuador. Top seeds, Halmi Munar and Sebastian Baez, who certainly were the favorites entering the event. They've been knocked out in the round of 32 for Munar. Was a 4-2 loss to Alejandro Tabila, who has been exceptional this year on the ATP Tour. You look uh, for Tabilo, 24-year-old out of Chile, into the top 170 uh, here this year. Uh, you look for him overall in 2021. 30 and 28, I suppose that's not exceptional, but you look for him on clay courts in particular. 18 and 14, he's 
you know, try to play a bunch for him in challenger level ATP uh, uh, clay court events. He's made quarterfinals, semifinals, quarterfinals at a couple of them as well. And of course, for to be low. Again, that's a really nice victory over Hami Munar, who does not lose very frequently anymore at the challenger level. Of course, for Nicholas Kieker, uh, former, I don't want to say top 100, but former top ranked uh uh, top 200 certainly player in the world that's a good win for him three sets over Sebastian Baez now Baez has played a ton of tennis of late but it's a good win for Kieker uh, good win for Francisco Serendolo three sets over Vit Capriva good win for Teco Sabath Vild three sets over Colorini Echeverry escapes with a three set win over Quiroz Nicolas Alvarez escapes three set win over Diego Torrante uh, yeah, tough loss for our guy, Alexi Galarno. He ends up dropping a 2-4 and four decision to qualifier Alejandro Gomez. But again, should be a fun week over in Ecuador. And you look right now, Francisco Serendolo, your favorite entering... Uh, excuse me, Thomas Martin Echeverry, your favorite, entering the round of 16, 22.1%. Fesundo Bagnus, your 2 seed, 19.8%. Serendolo, 18.3%. Kicker, 122 Then a big drop-off after that. But that's where things stand uh, in your other challengers happening this week. Let's move next to the ITFs happening. At the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. here this week, a perfect nexus as always. Top juniors, former collegiates, current collegiate players competing. We'll start with the action happening over this week in Fayetteville, where you know it's almost essential now. You have an ITF event on your campus if you want to be a top competing program. Again, if Arkansas is doing it, how can these other top programs not begin to do it as well? We've seen them in in now Fayetteville. We've seen them in Lubbock. We've seen them in. You know, so many different locations here over the past few weeks, and I actually think that's fantastic for both college tennis and just for pro tennis in general to provide these sort of playing opportunities. Pro tennis in the U.S., I should say, to be able to provide this many of playing opportunities. Great on these colleges for stepping up, uh, and as such, you know, again, former Arkansas standout Michael Redlicky, your top seed. He's taken on South Carolina's NCAA finalist from last season, Daniel Rodriguez. You got a fun matchup between two number one singles players in the country last year. Nate Ponwith of Arizona State taking on Duarte Valle. We already saw a straight set win from Baylor number one, Adrian Boitan over all day Zeke. Ezekiel Clark, you've got former UCLA number one and future challenge, uh, futures winner a few weeks ago, Keegan Smith taking on Francisco Roca. Uh, Strong Kirkheimer, former standout at Northwestern, taking on Nicholas Rosette. He's your number three seed this week. Good win for Baylor's Tadeus uh, Paralek. He ends the run of Jun Chung Shung, number one junior in the world, 7-5-4-1 before Shung, uh, Shung, excuse me, forced to retire. Of course, Shung has played so much tennis of late. Nevertheless, that's a good win for Paralek. And speaking of the Baylor Bears, uh, Mizuchi, now a Baylor Bear, taking on Arkansas's Alexandra Rico. You've got former Florida standout Alfredo Perez, your number seven seed here uh, in this event. Liam Draxel, number one player in the country, your number six seed. He's taken on a former uh, North, I forget which North Carolina school it was, not Chapel Hill, but one of the other ones in Henry Patton. KP Panu, my guy, former standout at the D2 level. He's in action here this week. You've got Baylor's Mateus Soto. A lot of Baylor love here in Fayetteville, taking on Bruno Kuzuhara. Uh, you know, you've also got Charlie Broom taking on Mate Speck. Uh, Joe Inglitson of Florida taking on Claver. You've got Keenan Mayo, Tyler Zink, Chad Kissel uh, in the field as well. So plenty of college ties over in Fayetteville. Of course, you look at Ithaca here this week. Felix Corwin, former 
uh, Minnesota standout in the draw. You look at some of the other players, Axel Neve of Notre Dame in the draw, Roy Smith, another former Baylor Bear in the draw, Josh Peck, North Carolina, Cannon Kingsley, Ohio State. Uh, you've got Plenty of talented players up and down. Guy Iridacunda uh, of Florida State, Evan Zhu, UCLA ties, Alex LeBlanc, Kentucky, McNally, Ohio State, Sinclair, Cornell. Yeah, it's a fun time to be a fan of college tennis. All of these guys now testing just again, uh, putting – and again, we're in Ithaca. We're in Cornell. How fantastic is that? It speaks to all of these colleges stepping up and providing these pro events. It, it's super, super exciting to see. So, again, uh, those are your uh, players with college ties we're keeping an eye on this week. On the men's side, you look on the women's side. Uh, we've got, I believe, 25K event happening in Orlando this week. Some results to keep an eye on. Allie Kick taking on Katarina Stewart. Kayla Day taking on uh, uh, Kayla Day in action at the 15K level. Chanel Van Wynn, Casey Harvey in action. Megan Manassi, Adrian. Adriana Riemi, Emma Navarro, Lulu Sun, uh, plenty of players again we are going to be hearing from either uh, we have heard from or recently or are going to be hearing from this year in the college world competing over in Orlando. It is worth mentioning, and I forgot to mention this one earlier, on the WTA side, we've got the 125 event happening this week over in Midland. And look, that's a staple of the tennis calendar. And of course, if you want to read uh, the best coverage of that event, hop on over to zootennis.com. Colette Lewis on site covering all of the action week in, week out, uh, day in, day out. Excuse me. You look at where we're at right now. I believe we got a big win. And we do have a 125K in Argentina happening uh, this week as well. I'll explore those tomorrow because I haven't given them enough of my attention. But you look at the result we saw in the round of 32. Again, Ashlyn Kruger, your San Diego champion, knocked out by Sasha Vickery. You look at some of the standouts. Let's see. DiLorenzo, former Ohio State standout win over Ellie Douglas. Danielle Lau over Haley Baptiste. Robin Anderson, former UCLA standout, gets a big win. Katrina Scott, there it is, 4-4 four four over Madison Ingles, your number three seed. Katie McNally, straight set win over San Diego finalist. Reeps Brant Meyer. Katie Volleyance has just, it feels like like she's won, lost a ton of three-set matches. She loses another one, seven, six in the third. Two number two seed Misaki Doi, but that's your action over in Midland. I'll focus in on Argentina later. And you know, again, I, as good as the action has been at the Billie Jean King Cup, you guys have heard all of the tennis I've discussed already this week. I just we don't do team events justice. We really don't. And I know to ask a player to participate in another month of tennis on the tennis calendar is an absurd ask for any fan, but there's got to be a better structure to the professional circuit where, you know, after the U.S. Open, perhaps that is your last event. Or you go U.S. Open, you know, maybe you can play Paris. You get two weeks, you play the year-end finals, you're done by the end of September. Then everyone gets October off. Then you go play team tennis in the month of November, or maybe October is for team events only. You throw in a Davis Cup, you throw in a Hopman Cup, you throw in a Fed Cup, you throw in Billie Jean King Cup, excuse me, you throw in Laver Cup during that time. All the cups and the world team tennises. Maybe that's the better system is we limit the pro circuit. And again, you're going to take money out of people's pockets, certainly. And in terms of the pro and the team events, we see a lot more top ranked players playing those events than lesser ranked players. And you don't want to minimize competitive opportunities for those lower ranked players but there's just got to be a better way to highlight Billie Jean King Cup which of course is on first ball the last over with our friends at Tennis Channel and I'm not want to diminish their coverage I'm simply saying there are still relevant pro events happening events that require our attention here and given the exhibition nature 
of Billie Jean King Cup when I'm making my order of operations. And, of course, we've got our Crack Rackets broadcast of the ITA National Fall Championships this weekend, so I've got to prep for that as well. I just don't have time in me right now to prioritize the Billie Jean King Cup. And maybe that says something about me. And if you disagree with me, you think it's perfectly placed in the schedule, you have no issue with the current format, let me know why. Tell me why you support this because, again— Given some of the matchups we've gotten to see, you know, the battle between uh, the Czech Republic and Germany, the Krejcikova-Kerber battle, I just feel like that match, because I know Kerber, I think, ended up winning it in three sets, that match deserved more prominence. And, you know, the fact that Slovakia beat the USA yesterday, I feel like that storyline deserves more prominence. And, you know, again, perhaps if this was more ideally placed, you'd see players like Muguruza and Bardi and Sabalenka and, you know, all the top-ranked players in the world playing it because— There would just be a a space in their schedule to allow them to do so. And just unfortunately, yeah, plenty of the top ones are playing it. And I'm not trying to diminish the Billie Jean King Cup because it still has been that exciting. And I'm always a fan of Team Tennis. But we've yet to nail the calendar, the scheduling of the event. And I do feel that is a notable development here down the home stretch of the season. But again... That's where things stand in this week's action. I know I talked about them all briefly yesterday with Nate, but I wanted to give you all the full rundown here today as well. And we will be back tomorrow morning to discuss Wednesday's results across the professional tennis world. Of course, on Thursday, we also begin our coverage of the ITA Fall National Championships. 32 of the top men's and women's players from around the country descending upon the Barnes Tennis Center in San Diego for the year's uh, final fall championship event, of course. We'll have coverage from first ball to last on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We're going to be deploying our red zone coverage, hopping from court to court throughout the day, highlighting as many players as we can, highlighting the most dramatic finishes, the tightest finishes, etc., etc. You don't want to miss out on any of that action. Again, you can follow it all on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Trying to sneak in a preview podcast here on Wednesday night. If I'm able to do so, you'll be able to listen to that over on the Great Shot podcast feed, where, of course, we had a bunch of other fun podcasts podcast here this week. If you go check out our Challenger Recap episodes with Damien Kust and Jakob Bobro, you can hear those each and every Monday as they break down all of the Challenger action. Of course, I also had the opportunity to speak with David Kane earlier this week to talk all things Conteve and WTA development. You can hear that here on this mini break podcast feed. We have a ton of fun content down the pipeline as well. College contender series on the horizon, interviews with countless Power 5 coaches on the horizon as well. You don't want to miss any of that action. So be sure you like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and you don't miss out on anything on our website site crackedrackets.com of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max Fliegner and daniel westoff for the of any job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends over at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that set for our super producers Fliegner and westoff our friends at tennis point and from all of us here At both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.